if you think about it, according to Gartner, we're up to 11 people on the buying committee and maybe seven or eight that come in and out. That's a lot of people. And they're all going out doing their own research and bringing back whatever they find. And all the information doesn't agree with each other, right? So how can we help buyers make sense of what they're learning? How do we empathize with their situation and help them understand what's important and what's not? How do they sift through all this stuff? The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of our B2B MX podcast. We are live. We are on camera. It's not just audio today, but we're really, really excited to have our very, very good friend, Ardith Albee, with us today. She is the CEO of Marketing Interactions and the Interim VP of Marketing for Modus. Ardith, how are you? It's so good to see you. It's good to see you too, Claudia. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. We also have, as always, my co-host, Alicia, on the line. Alicia, how's it going? All right, how's everyone doing? We're doing well. I'm really excited for this chat. Ardith is actually speaking at our B2B Marketing Exchange virtual experience at the end of February. So we're kind of excited to sit down with you, Ardith, and discuss some key things that you might be presenting next month, give a little sneak peek, and just uh, really have a little talk about, you know, content marketing and the role of empathy as we see it today. So Obviously, Ardith, when people hear about content marketing, even in B2B marketing, I'm sure a lot of folks think of you, to be honest. I know we do. But 2020 was a big year with lots of change and disruptions. So tell us, what have you been up to for the past year? Yeah. Boy, last year was a year, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way to say it. (laughs) So mostly being interim VP of marketing at Modus, because when all of this happened, a lot of, I had a couple of big projects pulled back and people were reconfiguring and whatever. But I had been working with Modus as a consultant strategist for over a year. So when they asked me to step in, I thought it would be fun, actually. And because I've been a consultant now for, I don't know, like 15 years. And so I create personas and strategies and all this stuff. And then I go away and I don't ever get to implement, right? And put things into action. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging to get my hands on the tools on the back end again and actually implement programs across the company and see them work. And so I know they work or my clients wouldn't come back, but to actually see (laughs) what it takes to optimize them and how the new tools are working and use some of the new technologies and those kinds of things, really fun. And it could have been like a year other than 2020 that I decided to do this, but (laughs) learned a lot of things and really had to just kind of pivot and shift the way marketing was happening in order to continue to do business as usual. And I'm happy to say that Modus had a, not a stellar year, but we were year over year above revenue from what we were the year before, which is, I'm pretty proud that we all worked together to pull that one off. 
I love it. Seems like you were nice and busy even during the pandemic, which is awesome. And it's great to hear marketers like yourself um, and your team at Modus have really stepped up and, and were able to see some success for sure. I've definitely been seeing so many marketers and they've really shown their resiliency. So that's just awesome. So between your work as a strategist and the interim VP of marketing at Modus, what trends have you really seen kind of rise to the top? Maybe not just in your personal work, but through partnerships within B2B organizations and and things like that. So what are you seeing as really top-notch these days in terms of trends? Well, what's interesting, I have been building personas forever. (laughs) And every year you see the research come out, what are the top challenges? Marketers say, we don't understand our customers. We're not sure how to engage them. And yet when they ask about tools, personas are down at the bottom, the marketing strategy is down lower. I mean, they haven't invested the work. It's kind of like push the easy button and we've gotten by with it for quite a long time. And now what I'm seeing is this frenetic activity around, we need to understand what's going on with our buyers and our customers and really a renewed effort given 2020 to focus on the customers we had because it was really hard to go out and generate new business because everybody was pulling back, budgets were on hold, people weren't quite sure what to do, lots of uncertainty. And so I'm seeing a renewed interest in really getting to that relevance, that understanding of your audience and trying to, you know, you saw a lot of marketing programs being modified. You saw webinars go from an hour to 30 minutes. You saw digital events in many different forms. I spoke on a lot of them and every platform was different. Some work better than others. So we're grappling with all of that. But then you see, and this is a trend that's been coming, but buyers, especially B2B are saying, get away from me. I will do my own research. I can handle this myself. I know how to use a browser and whatever. And so the role of content, the role of marketing has gotten more important. Our purview has expanded. So for example, at Modus, I'm not just responsible for demand gen. I'm responsible for sales enablement, customer communications and programs, partner development, and demand gen and corporate communications, all of those things, and they all need to tie together. And so I just think that a lot of new things are coming along and I'm seeing an uptick in revenue operations, which the last couple of years has been coming along, but hasn't been the talk of the town. But now we need consistency. We need to honor all customer facing roles, providing a consistent experience, right, to our buyers. And so I'm seeing an uptake in in people looking at that and trying to more so blur the boundaries between marketing, sales, and customer success, which needs to happen, in my opinion. I've been ranting about that forever, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a good point around how a lot of the things that we're discussing as big trends or critical pivots that B2B organizations have made, they're not necessarily new things. They've been around, their positioning on the priority list may have changed or plans may be accelerated as a result of what's happening with the pandemic. And I love that you really emphasize the foundational work like personas and messaging, because I think that groundwork is so important. It drives everything. But um, if we're looking at this through a tactical lens, you brought up virtual events, the digital experience, obviously a lot of SEO conversations happening now. If we were to think about this through the lens of like 
okay, well, what's really going to stick? What behaviors are going to maintain as we think through 2021? What really rises to the top? Because I feel like in in 2020, a lot of it was just kind of adapting to new behaviors, new realities. I know I I keep saying new realities. I fall into the (laughs) trap of it, but we hear it so much. But looking at the now, what do you think has the most staying power or, or will likely stick around as we get into this mode of, okay, like, this is just the new context of how we do things. Yeah, well, digital obviously isn't going anywhere and it's going to become more and more important. But that being said, we've got to stop talking about our dang products. And I've been doing a lot of talking about empathy and emotion, even in B2B. And it's so important, but I think it kind of connects into this trend that where everybody's talking about hyper-personalization. We've got to really go after personalization. And then I cringe every time I hear AI people say, hey, we don't have to build personas anymore because we have AI and data. So that'll (laughs) tell us everything we need to know. But of course, it'll tell you what someone did, but it certainly isn't going to tell you why they did it or what they were hoping for or any of those things. So I think we have to start looking at digital as perhaps even more important than face-to-face. I mean, you've seen the trends. People are saying offices or companies are giving up their office leases and saying we're going to stay working remotely and things like that. And so I think we have to really pay attention to what kind of experiences are we creating. B2B buyers want to drive them. They want control over what they're getting involved in. I think interactive content is going to really take hold. And I'm not talking about the quiz to say, what kind of dog are you? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about interactive content, like let's say virtual product tours, where you can't go in person to see an excavator for a construction site, but you can see a 3D model of it online, spin it around, dive into different areas with or without a salesperson to look at the way things are. You can create digital sales rooms where you share content and, you know, the buyer can invite the other people on the buying committee in. They can chat back and forth with each other. They can add content for the sales rep to respond to. The sales rep can add content based on answering their questions. And it serves as a record, if you will, of engagement across their buying process. I mean, different tools like that are coming into play that allow buyers to interact without having to get on a plane and, you know, or the sales rep getting on a plane and flying in and having a face-to-face meeting. But it also allows them to kind of drive. And I think we need to allow for that. But the other thing too is, since buyers can go learn about your products and everything else, they know as much as you do about your products. So what else are you going to bring to the table? And this is when we've got to get beyond that buzzword of thought leadership and think about what information really is compelling? What do they need to know? There's a lot of, if you look at the research from Gartner and others, there's a lot of research about uncertainty. And of course, 2020 didn't help with that. And if you think about it, according to Gartner, we're up to 11 people on the buying committee and maybe seven or eight that come in and out. That's a lot of people. And they're all going out doing their own research and bringing back whatever they find. And all the information doesn't agree with each other. Right. So how can we help buyers make sense of what they're learning? How do we empathize with their situation and help them understand what's important and what's not? How do they sift through all this stuff? What do they need to know? So I think this focus on really understanding our audiences will stay, digital will stay, interactive content will stay. And I think 
what I've been looking at and watching from some of the analysts and people talking about it is if you follow Gartner, they kind of went from we need buyer enablement to we need sense making for buyers, how to make sense out of stuff. And now they're saying what we really need is change enablement. Right. And so, I mean, forever, since the beginning of time, buying something as a business is an exercise in change management. Right. And so now it's how do we really help them make that decision to change? And so if you look at emotion in B2B, there's always been emotions. Right. And and it's if you think about it more from how does an experience make you feel? Are you confident? Do you sense risk? Are you assured that you're moving in the right direction? All of those kinds of things have to factor into decision making. So we need to focus on how do we make people feel confident and comfortable that they're making a decision based on solid judgment, because that's the only way they're going to move forward. And we've all watched the rise of no decision, right? It's even worse than how many deals do you lose versus how many go to no decision. No decision is probably higher because buyers can't make a choice. So really enabling buyers is going to become even more important, as well as mitigating risk. And that became really important last year when everyone was saying, okay, look, you need to show me what my short-term win is, but I also am going to need that long-term win. So what happens down the road, but I also need to know what's the impact in 30 days or I'm not going to get sign-off. And so just the way they look at buying has changed a bit. And I don't think that's going to go back either. So many great points and so many layers that I, I hope we can unpack together, Ardith, because you know we've been hearing a lot about the role of empathy in marketing for a while now. Some people distill it down to speak to your buyer in a way that's relevant for them, speak to them like humans, be a bit more maybe emotional and connected in the conversations that you're having. But you're really getting into, I think, the nuance that comes into play with the B2B decision-making process. Because looking at this contextually, I have my own experience as an individual, the things I'm thinking and feeling, my struggles, but then it's, okay, but how does that play into the connections or conversations I'm having with other members of the committee or my boss. So that's another layer of context and emotional factors that come into play. And then I have the interactions with the vendors, right? So it's like there are multiple layers here that I think really play into the emotion of the decision-making process. And I know obviously this falls right into your sweet spot from a strategy perspective. You're going to be digging into tapping into the emotion of of the B2B decision-making process. But am I unpacking that right? I mean, what else kind of plays into that emotional component of the decision-making process that everyone watching needs to know right now? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things that that play into it. So first of all, one of the things that I noticed kind of like by the end of April or May or whatever is that the buying process itself had been upended, right? As companies kind of reorganized and folded in to kind of hunker down and say, what are we going to do next or whatever? So the buying process within a lot of companies may have changed totally. So where you never saw a C-level involved, you see them now. And it's not just like, okay, we have budget for buying a new whatever system. It's like, okay, we have budget, but now it's competing for all these executive priorities, How do you beat out against that? It's no longer like your budget. I saw my budget impacted. In fact, my budget pretty much went away 
So we focused organically (laughs) for most of 2020, which was a challenge in itself. But so the whole buying process changes. People don't know if they're going to get laid off or furloughed. It's just everything kind of became risky. So there was a lot of fear, uncertainty, things like that. A false sense of security in some instances made people more hesitant. But there's also the fact that I saw so many conversations out on LinkedIn between executives, and I heard a lot of conversations with my sales team about their prospects. And it wasn't that people weren't buying. It was that the criteria had shifted a bit, and there was a need to shore up their confidence and the assurance that what they were being promised was really going to happen and how we were going to help them get there. Not just, okay, here you go. Here's your shiny new product, but we've got skin in the game with you. We are going to help you make you successful. And so there was a lot more, I don't know if you want to call it handholding, but there was just a lot more involved in trying to get deals done. And there was a lot more reliance on, I don't know how to say this, there's a lot more reliance on our sellers to really be in there with them. But yet again, they were still doing this and saying, well, we need to go talk to five other ones and make sure that what we're hearing is right and that kind of thing. And then it was, we're not sure we have the resources to implement. So though we want it, we're not quite sure yet. You know, And so it took a lot to get, even once they were sold, they need it, they want it. We're not sure we can do it. And so it took a lot to get it over the line. And it comes to the ability to build trust and realize when you have a cultural match with the vendor and supplier really kind of sync. And so, you know, I'll tell you in my conversations with customers, when I'm building personas and I get to that question about why did you choose my client? What really made you make that decision? Because I'd heard them say all along the way, well, we considered these three solutions and they were all pretty similar and wasn't that big a difference. And nine times out of 10, what they say is the company seemed to get us. We felt comfortable with them. We felt confident that they weren't lying to us, essentially, that we could rely on them. And I hear that more so ever than I ever hear price or anything like that. It's a lever, level of comfort that we have to figure out how to create. And now that sellers are being pushed back and they only spend about 17% of their entire buying process in conversation or interactions with sales reps, and that's all vendors are considering. So if you're looking at three vendors, then you're going to spend maybe 6% of your time with each one. That's all. When Especially when your sales cycle is eight months or whatever. So now this responsibility is shifting back to the marketing side. How are we going to enable not only our buyers, but our sales reps to bring more value? And so I think a lot of that's going to change. But it's also, remember what I said earlier, that it's been proven that when you make a decision, it's not really about the brand as much as it is about the way the experiences you've had with the brand made you feel. And so that's where emotion and empathy come in. It's not that you need to know their dang shoe size or ask about their dog or their kids. In fact, that kind of makes buyers go, whoa, you know, a little spooky. But what they really care about is, is this relevant to me, given the problem I'm trying to solve, my responsibility within the company, my personal concerns about if I make this choice, Am I advancing my career or am I putting myself in jeopardy? 
How confident am I that this is really going to work? There's a lot of that involved. And that's really what we need to look at in B2B from an empathy perspective. Now, the one thing I do want to say is to all of the people who are out there writing emails where the first line is, I hope you and your family are safe and doing fine. And the next sentence is, I'd like to talk to you about my product X, you know, I mean, really? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm calling that fake empathy. You know, I, I see it yeah. I, still today, a year later. That's what I see in my inbox quite often from people. And I'm thinking, really? Do you think that works? I mean, is that sincere? No. You know, so I think we have to think a little bit more about it. it's not just taking the action is do you mean it? And you can tell. So it definitely seems like everything that we've experienced over the past year has mainly accelerated or emphasized this need to be more empathetic and and human. And I guess to your point just now, intentional in our approach, right? So it's not just about ticking the box and adjusting our tone and style or saying, I hope you're safe and well in these times. It's a bit deeper, it's a bit more strategic, but it seems like this this is something that has always existed, but it has really come to the forefront and risen in importance as a result of everything over the past year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's just people notice it more. Our mindset is a bit different. So I, I just think it's more apparent. I think before we didn't pay a lot of attention to it, even though we knew it was there, we just skipped over it. But now I think it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and people are like, some people are doing it right. You know, the messaging is sincere. They are showing that empathy. So if you're getting it from one brand or one sales rep or person or whoever is engaging with you, and then you get that kind of generic, hope you're doing well, but buy this, it's like, "Mm, okay, I'm going to go with the other person or other company that's going to really care what I'm talking about. So Going into the notion of of being human, obviously that that was another kind of thing last year. You know, marketing has to be more human. We're marketing to people, not businesses and, and things like that, and tapping into the emotion beyond what many think that uh what people basically think of when they hear empathy in marketing that includes that tone and the style and the messaging. And like you said, like what they're actually writing, whether it's in an email or, or whatever conversation they're having over the phone, who's responsible for creating these more contextual and emotive experiences? Well, I would say marketing, first of all, but here's the thing. We are not the only ones executing experiences. Right. So your sales reps have to create that experience too. But I think it falls to marketing to set the tone for all of that, to show them how to do it. And the reason I say that is because marketing really needs to take the responsibility, going back to personas and whatever, of really understanding the audience and the customers. So sales reps talk to one at a time. And quite often, personas are faulted for being based on kind of a composite, if you will, of a whole target segment, right? But the thing is, those sellers talk to one at a time. Each buyer they talk to is not the same. So they have to be able to shift those experiences based on the context of whoever they're talking to. Marketers can do the work to help them to understand that. If their personas are built based on customer conversations, that help us really understand 
down to what phrases do they use, which helps the buyer feel more comfortable if we talk to them in that way. But also, I sit and listen to sales calls, recorded sales calls. What are prospects asking? How is it changing? And how are our reps responding? Does that need to shift? Are they missing something? What's the tone of the buyer in response to how a salesperson answers their question? And so it comes down to really spending that time to understand, but also being cognizant of the fact that fragmented experiences are not going to cut it anymore, which is why RevOps is coming to the fore. How do we blur marketing, sales, and success to have that consistency of experience based on the context of where is the buyer in that continuum, right? Are they early? Have they just become a customer? Now we need to shift to what that context is. Are they in late stages? Are they trying to finagle consensus among all those 11 people or 18 or however many it is who each have a different perspective, right? And so when we talk about our products, we're talking about limiting ourselves to just what goes with that product. But if you think about it from a change enablement or change management perspective, what else does it impact? If Joe implements a new system, what happens to Mary's team in her process? What happens over here? What happens for the customer? What happens? What has to change all over the place in order to have this thing happen? And by limiting ourselves to talking just about our product, we miss out on opportunities to make everybody else feel comfortable based on what they're going to get out of it, right? Each person involved is going to have a different perspective, a different responsibility, and need a different outcome, right? So we have to focus more on the outcomes as they apply across the whole group. And so that's one reason to give up a total focus on products. But the other one is these people have to talk to each other. And if they don't, they'll never reach consensus. And so we have to really understand what are those conversations and how do we enable them when we're not in the room? Because if you think about it, that 6% of the time they're going to spend with your sales rep, that leaves us a whole bunch of time that content, interactive experiences, the things we present online, all of that stuff has to do that job now. And so we have to be very careful about how we present things and what context and that they resonate, right? That they're relevant to whoever we're engaging. So all of that from a human perspective means think about what matters to the people you're engaging, not about what your new feature does, but what the outcome of that enables, what it changes, and how to help people get comfortable with that. That's great. And honestly, yeah, it's time to just get rid of all of these silos, right? Everybody has to work as one, market as one, sell as one, and all the platforms and everything have to work together. But obviously, that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) So coming down to the wire here, I'd love to just hear quick hitting tips or ways for folks to really get started with assessing their current experiences or ways to be more empathetic and understanding to determine what improvements that they can make or or should make. What are your thoughts there? What are some tips that you could uh, give our audience today? Yeah, well, I think the simplest thing we can do is perhaps a content or campaign audit. Like looking at your content from the perspective of, okay, this was written for this persona or this role, whatever, what did they take away from it? And how important is that? And better yet, if given what they learned, what they took away, what do they need to know next? We don't tend to connect things together. So when I'm talking about 
interactive experiences or content experiences, that kind of thing. It's about leave no content behind, leave no idea behind. If you taught them something or informed them or whatever, and they say, oh, well, that's really interesting. What I want to know now is this. That's a shift in context, right? And so we need to look at our content and say, okay, what are they learning? What do they need to know now? And that will come with better understanding of our audiences. But we've got to start connecting the dots. People are not going to go search for everything. It's like one of the rants that I have been doing for, I don't know, like 15 years is why do we organize our websites for products, solutions, resources? Oh, you can choose from white papers, videos, the blog, webinars. Do you go to a website and say, gee, I wonder what the latest webinar is? No, (laughs) you know? And so why are we not building our websites based on, are you trying to solve this problem? Great. Here's all the stuff you need to know to do that or whatever. And so we're starting to get there. I'm starting to see more and more websites that do have areas based on what role you are, what your persona or whatever. But man, it's just so disconnected. And so then you see buyer research And I think Demand Gen Report's buyer survey puts a highlight on this really well, like the importance of content, but how difficult it is to find it, work with it and whatever. And it's like, I'm not going to go search for stuff. Show me what's next or I'm hitting the back button and going back to Google, you know, much easier to search than your website probably, you know. (laughs) And so we have to start thinking about it. When we talk about experience, this is part of what I'm talking about what is it like for them? How do we, once we get that attention that's so precious, how do we keep it? We have to start looking at it from that. So I would look at my, the content I have now, the programs I'm running now. And the other one of my pet peeves are campaigns. Like you have an eight month sales cycle and you run a campaign for a month. And then as soon as you get their attention and they're interested in the information, it ends. And you think you're supposed to be like driving opportunities into the pipe, but the sales cycle is eight months and your campaign was a month or a quarter. And so you're now abandoning your buyers, right? And so we have to just look at this as a continuous, how do we continuously engage people and keep them going and stop looking at these one-off content things where we just dead end our content and don't give them anything else. So what are they supposed to do? Say, oh, gee, I wonder if there's a video on this. (laughs) <laughs> go to that section of your website, it's not going to happen. So that's the easiest way to get started, I think, is think about that. And if you don't have personas, go build them and build good ones. Don't get 10 people in a room and say, okay, who's our persona? Decide over pizza. Get on the phone and talk to your customers. I'm serious. People do that. <laughs> no, so I mean, so so many great points really resonate with me as a content creator, as someone who's trying to figure out the best way to bring information to our audience. And you're obviously going to be digging into a lot of this and more during your uh, B2B MX session in a few weeks. So, I mean, quick elevator pitch to close things out. I mean, what are all the folks who join the session, what are they going to be getting out of the talk as a takeaway, best practices? What can they look forward to? Yeah, well, basically a lot of answers more in depth than what we went into today. But basically, If you come to my session, you're going to learn how to use storytelling, emotion, and context to create content experiences that engage and motivate buyers and customers. So how do you create that continuum experience? 
and include some emotional elements and focus on context and just really help your buyers. So they see you as a valuable resource, right? They want to follow you instead of they have to hear from you. There's a big difference between those two things. So that's what I'll be talking about. Awesome, Ardeth. Well, it's always good catching up with you and hearing all of the amazing things you have to say. I'm mentally jotting down notes so I don't go off screen. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, touch base with us and and share all of the great things that you'll be talking about at the show. Appreciate you having me and I'm looking forward to the show. It's always one of my favorites. Yeah, we're so excited. And to all of you watching, if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to drop them below or tweet at us at B2BMX or to us directly. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, um, make any connections to Ardith because she is definitely a person to know in this world. So thanks to all of you. If you're looking for more information, definitely check out the B2BMX website and our agenda, which is being updated consistently up until the show. Thanks everyone and uh, have a good rest of the day.